Inside the Adventure, episode number 27 with Mark Yano. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosier, and I'm so thrilled to have you join us today with another awesome guest. Uh, today, we're speaking with a guy named Mark Yano, the owner and driver of Circuit Raising, a seasoned veteran and entrepreneur dedicated to bettering the lives of his fellow veterans and has done much, much, much more, uh, has a bio longer than I've ever seen from anyone. So I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that. But thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Oh, thank you very much, Marshall. We, uh, we appreciate your time and your viewers. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know that you've done some incredible things and I, I would love to get an overview of uh, just kind of quickly some of the amazing things you've done uh, with your time serving in the United States Marine Corps, you know, back in 1988 uh, all the way through all the things uh, you're doing now, give us give us the the overview. Well, you know, it's uh, the time in the Marine Corps was amazing. It's uh, it's truly remarkable when you served this country and uh, spent five years in the Marine Corps, spent seven months in the first Gulf War in uh, ninety ninety one. Uh, but just the people you meet and what you learn as being a Marine, and uh, you know, there's so many patriots out there in America that you don't necessarily have to pull the trigger uh, to serve in the military. But it was a decision I had made to always wanted to become a Marine. And, you know, through the years, I've kept in contact with a lot of great people. And so today we are, uh, you know, had a dis distribution business that serviced the uh, special operations side of the government, supplying tactical gear for a bunch of different missions around the world. And uh, that business just recently got acquired. So uh, we're off to a new, uh, a new serial entrepreneur adventure, you might say. That's awesome. How long had you been working with Source One Distributors before it got acquired? I started it back in 2003, so about 14 years we worked with the government um, from the DOD to the, uh, I guess you could say the soft community, and then a lot of the uh, three-letter alphabets, uh, State Department and uh, Border Patrol and FBI and CIA and all that. We, we supplied the tactical gear for the, those type of missions. Did a lot of the inspiration to create that come from your time, obviously, in the Marines? You know, back in 2003, um, right after 9-11, and I started seeing what was going on, uh, there was a, just a an opportunity that the way the government was procuring products for the military, I just saw that it had to be easier. And so what started off as something, uh, trying to help a few people with my laptop and uh, cell phone, the business just grew and continued to grow, and we were doing a couple hundred million dollars in revenue a year uh, and had some big contracts with the government. That's amazing. And since you've been doing that, you also got into racing. Tell us a little bit about how, uh, how that got started, where uh, that passion for racing came from and kind of where that transition was and how you got started with circuit racing ultimately. Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. You know, about five years ago, uh, Lori and I, my better half, we went to the 24 hours of Daytona 
And as we're standing up against the fence and the cars are getting ready to line up, and as soon as the engines go off and they come around the first turn, I looked at Lori and I said, you know, there's not one car doing one thing for the military and the veterans here, and I didn't even see an American flag on one of the cars. So I told Lori, I said, you know, I think I'm going to learn how to race. I never carted. I never did anything race-related. You know, when I grew up, we grew up in extreme poverty, so being able to go to a race wasn't really an option. So I walked into the Porsche Hospitality Suite. I asked for who was the highest-ranking person within that room, and I had told them I'd like to buy a race car, and they kind of looked at me like the movie Taken, and uh, was just, yeah, good luck. (laughs) And I, I I think the worst thing you can do is tell an entrepreneur or tell a Marine the word no, because that just means yes to us. So, uh, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. So within a matter of weeks, I had met the CEO of Porsche, uh, told him our story, told him what we did. And I said, look, if you sell me one of these race cars, I I promised him that I would train harder than any driver he had. And sure enough, about two weeks later, uh, they called back. There's about 40 of these Porsche race cars, the Porsche GT3 that come over from Germany. And we literally got one of the cars and, uh, we had picked NGT Motorsports as the folks that were going to service the car and the pit crew and all that. And we practiced for about a good year, almost every weekend. And we flew in some of the top drivers from Europe and Monaco and Germany. And they would spend time with me on the weekends. And uh, we went to Sebring, Florida, and we just practiced and we practiced and we practiced. So much so, we were the fastest engine rebuild by Porsche. And uh, our first uh, year came and I think we took eighth place our first year, fourth place uh, second, and then last year, um, actually last year, we took second place. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, it's a great story. But the whole purpose of circuit racing wasn't to race, uh, which makes the story you know, kind of fun. We, what we saw was what could we do as a platform that would create more visibility for the veterans and for the families and for those that are serving and we have given hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, through the years in helping a lot of the nonprofits for veterans. And the biggest thing we saw is that there's 48,000 of those throughout the U.S. And some of those are the percentages weren't high enough for every dollar you give. So we ended up creating this team strictly as a platform. We didn't sell a product from it. Um, we started working with some of our folks that we knew as sponsors. And our first year, uh, Wells Fargo jumped on board with us, and they had given us three $300,000 homes. And we had passed those homes out uh, through a vetting process that took about a year. And we had given those service-disabled veterans mortgage-free homes with the help of, uh, at that time, Operation Homefront. And then our second year, we had teamed up with one of the uh, former sergeant majors of the Army, Jack Tilley, and he had introduced us to a, uh, a big sponsor, Kaplan University. And Kaplan had a program uh, to pass out scholarships for the wives and children. So as the husbands or the wives or vice versa are deployed, you know, what is the spouse doing? What is the child doing at home? You know, how can they better their life and how can they better their education? So they had presented us that year with about $4 million in college scholarships, which we passed out uh, through the motorsports side. And then they came back to us last year, and we did about $6 million with them uh, last year. So the whole program is really about uh, what are we doing to give back and how do we change a veteran's life one race at a time. So that was the program of circuit racing. That was the thrust behind it. 
the fun of racing was great, but I always felt like every race we podiumed because we were changing a veteran's life at each one of those events. It's so inspiring that it has such a larger meaning rather than just racing, like maybe some of the other teams you competed against, that it has such a bigger impact um, than just the place that you're standing on the podium. How did you realize that racing would be a good avenue to give back to um, a program that you cared so much about? You know, when you look at the different sports uh, venues that are out there, I mean, you know, Formula One is one of the top meccas for racing. And then underneath that, you start getting into NASCAR. Uh, Under that, you have Indy. And then you start looking at the verticals from there. And those verticals would be, you know, like the IMSA series or the WeatherTech or the Tudor series and our series, which is the Porsche GT3 Cup challenge by Yokohama. And I know that's a long word, but that's, you know, they have the Lamborghini series and all these big names. And so the European racing is very, very big in America. Um, and the platform was a huge platform. I think within one year we touch, you know, you touch almost 12 million people and spectators. So when we looked across the different verticals about where we wanted to be and how we were going to change lives and what would give us the most marketing for the veterans and the military, motorsports was really one of the top ones. And that's why you see NASCAR has such an amazing sponsorship list with huge corporations. I mean, people go crazy for that. And uh, it really is one of the backbones. So that's how we ended up in motorsports. Uh, it is a very intense, challenging sport. Um, there's no doubt we learned a lot from that. And it's been a great platform for circuit racing and the whole crew. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about the actual racing side. What, it's, what are the physical aspects like of, of being a driver? Do you have to train and stay in shape uh, to perform to the best of your abilities, almost in, a same, in the same sense that you had to do in the Marines? Yeah, you know, the, it's a huge difference between the Marine Corps training and, and motorsports training. You know, I used to go to the gym and, you know, like everybody, you'd hit the dumbbells and you hit the weights. And you, what I learned in motorsports is that having a lot of muscle actually makes you tired quicker. So cardio and being lean is really the big driver. And when I say cardio, you know, in a 45-minute race that we run, the sprint race, you know, you'll lose anywhere from four to six pounds of water within 45 minutes. And your forearms, your arms in general, your shoulders, you know, you're at the edge of that car's limit. And those tires will grip, but that grip is so fine that you have to have amazing reaction time. So I had hired uh, a trainer for about four years um, at Athletes Advantage. And this gentleman, Sean, was just uh, a great trainer who not just focused on reflexes and cardio and stamina. But the first few sessions I went to him, I thought he was going to kill me. And then I started uh, realizing, you know, what the impact was, you know, the neck muscles, the G-force that we're pulling, um, you know, the speed of tennis balls and racquetballs against the wall and catching them with each different hand. So reflexes and cardio became a big thing. And I actually stayed away from lifting weights for about four years and focused on more, I guess you could say more reps with a much lighter weight and just did a lot of running and rowing. Uh, Swimming was also good as well. But having a lot of muscle and being a race car driver, uh, it's just, it's uh, counterproductive. That makes sense. Uh, That's really interesting. But was it, was it hard for you to make that transition in your personal training, given your background of what you used to do? 
Uh, no, I think because I wanted it so bad and I wanted to be on that podium and bring the veterans to the races, we would bring different veterans and their families and, and the, you know, the little kids that would come up to the race car and sit in the car, you know, we didn't want to go out there and just, you know, burn fuel. Uh, the plan was to be on the podium. Uh, the plan was to train harder than all these other drivers. I mean, there's some drivers in there that have 10 to 20 years more experience than we do. So it really required a lot of physical training and a lot of data. Uh, I literally used to watch videos on those racetracks that we would race and literally lay on the carpet of the house and drive, drive them and close my eyes and actually have my hands out with a fake steering wheel and actually drive that track. And so I got so embedded into the motorsport side, not just from the physical side, but mental because mentally – when you're on the edge of that car and you're taking turns at over 100 miles an hour, your straightaways at 180, you really have to be like reflexes have got to be incredible. So there's and then, you know, there's a whole nother caliber to racing the minute it rains and everything you learn and racing in the dry line is opposite when it rains because you have to be in a different line because the rubber is just terrible when it rains on the dry line. So. That was a learning experience the first couple times I drove in the rain. I mean, I've had my share of incidents, that's for sure. Uh, but that's all part of it. That's so true. What are some of those incidents that, that have happened and how have you recovered and bounced back from those? You know, I believe it was my second race of the season. Um, we were racing at Circuit of America in Austin, Texas, which I have to say is one of my favorite tracks. It's a Formula One track. Uh, that's about a half a billion dollars they spent to develop that track over there. And it's, uh, it's long, it's wide, it's very forgiving. Uh, it's a very fast track. And during that first, uh, outlap, we had one of the drivers as a couple cars in front of me who just took one of the turns, um, way too fast on cold tires. The uh, tires weren't up to temperature and he just nailed it into the wall and he came back on the track, and I was probably doing 90, maybe 95 miles an hour, and just took him right into the side of his uh, side of his car. Totaled my car, totaled his car. Uh, we both went to the paramedics, and I had about a bruised liver for almost six weeks. Uh, and that was the first race of the season. And I said to myself, you know, what the hell did I get myself into? Um, but you can't control what some of these other drivers are doing on their spin. So that caused me to go back out and, uh, you know, start looking at videos, uh, on what I could have done differently, which was out of my control. There's nothing I could have done differently, but it taught me a lot about that moment, um, that this sport is real and that there is danger involved. And that just kind of got me more excited, believe it or not. So that's exactly what happened. Is it hard to know that no matter how good you get and how much experience you have, there are some situations where, it's just out of your hands, out of your control. For instance, like what happened there? Yeah, we've had several incidents like that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, some of these incidents or accidents that happen, um, you can't control. You know, you could be doing 160 miles an hour and maybe there was something on the road and your tires. I mean, you don't have threads. I mean, these are flat tires. They're all bald tires when they come because you want the grip. And, um, you know, you're hitting that apex at certain speeds and, you go offline on that grass just a half an inch to an inch, and if it's wet or if you pick up some some dirt or grass, I mean, it takes a little bit for that to come off. So you can't control some of the factors. I think this is where seat time becomes extremely important. 
is the more seat time in the car, the more you can learn different things that are happening. And each track has a different story. You know, Sebring, Florida, for example, is a, a historic track and it's been rumored and it's true that if you can run Sebring, you can pretty much run any track in the U.S. It's one of the hardest tracks. It's a change of asphalt to concrete. Uh, uh, there's walls. There's all kinds of things going on at Sebring. There's bumps. There's everything. So you go to a track like that, and then you go to Circuit of America in Austin, and it's just clean, and it's gorgeous, and uh, there's a lot of room for forgiveness. So each track has a different story, um, you know, and each one has, uh, you know, Watkins Glen is another great track up in New York. Uh, Formula One was out there, I believe, 1947. Uh, I mean, they used to race the streets out there in Watkins Glen. But that track is uh, just an, an icon track as well. So each one has something unique about it, and you have to learn those tracks. So speaking of, of stories and how each track has a different story, what's your most memorable story um, in terms of racing? I would say it happened our first year when um, – it was the first race of the season. We were all lined up in the different pit and pit row. We were all standing there, and a lady walked up to me with her son, and she was holding an American flag. And she walked up to the car and said, my husband is a Marine, and he's serving overseas, and this is my son. And the little boy came up to me and thanked me for my service, and I thanked him for his dad being over in Afghanistan serving this country while they were at a race. And I remember that I let him sit in my car. My pit crew guys were going crazy because we had a false grid getting ready to close up. There wasn't much time. And I said, you know, even if I missed the race that day, I wasn't that concerned because these three minutes with that little boy, without question, changed his life. And that's what this platform was about at Circuit Racing. And uh, I just remember his mom having tears in her eyes and thanking me and we signed the corner of the flag for her, and she was shipping that over to uh, Afghanistan. And each year we went back there, her and her little boy would come over to the car, and the crowd would get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know, it, it's stories like that that really change your life. That's so incredible to hear just how how you've really stayed true to the why behind why you're racing. And, and I know it's easy to get caught up in in all of the details of the actual race, the logistics of where you need to be, like for instance, that story. But it all comes down to the power of, of why you're doing that. And I'd love to hear more about some of the incredible um, impact that you've had um, on other Marines and other veterans through circuit racing, some of the things you've been able to do. Tell us some of those stories. So we've had, we've had several folks, you know, one of the things we've been able to do is work with an organization called bootcampaign.org and boot campaign is a nonprofit that promotes patriotism, uh, provides financial assistance. Um, you know, here's an organization where, you know, you have folks like Marcus Luttrell and Taya Kyle and some of the other, you know, people out there that have you know, been an inspiration uh, for a lot of other folks. But the boot campaign, we've done a few races, which were called Faces of Our Freedom, where we would invite select folks that they picked, maybe five, maybe eight different people that are all veterans and their families. And we'd bring them out for a weekend for a high-speed uh, experience. Sometimes we'd be able to get them in the pace car. Other times we would provide a hospitality suite where they can come and experience a race first, you know, firsthand up close 
walk them through pit row, introduce them to different drivers or get them in the different motorhomes during the pit, pit, pit times. And, you know, the weekend, you know, when you think about it, we had Mike's Heart Lemonade at one of our events there and they brought, and they were helping us on the sponsorship to bring these, uh, warriors here to the event. And, you know, things like that we've been able to do, um, have just been truly instrumental in getting them out of their regular life for a moment and to experience things that they've never been able to do. And I've always said that if you're in a position in life to be able to help or to change somebody's life, and and maybe it's not with the veteran side, maybe it has something to do with kids or something to do with cancer, whatever the case may be, if you're in a position of influence or if you have an, an opportunity, it doesn't take that much to change somebody's life. And that's something that we're very passionate about at circuit racing. And just in general, uh, even in our personal lives, uh, we teach our kids that as well. You know, Lori and I have four kids together and, you know, it's spread out in ages and we always try to expose them to different things. And uh, during Thanksgiving, you know, let's go to soup kitchen. Let's go help people. Christmas, what are we doing for toys or tots? You know, how can we help less fortunate children out? So that's something that is, uh, you know, a big, a big thing for us personally anyway. And it's so inspiring to hear that story and that mission. I, I love how, how powerful that is behind what you're doing. And oftentimes, a lot of guests that we talk to uh, from a variety of different sports, uh, it doesn't matter so much what the sport is, but oftentimes there are a lot of lessons from that activity that apply um, to someone's character and back to things in life outside of that sport. What things in racing do you think also apply to general life lessons? You know... <laughs> there's a lot of different things that could apply from racing, you know, the discipline aspect, as far as what you eat, how you train, you know, how do you carry yourself? You know, how do you focus your mind to stop distracting yourself from other things? Uh, I've always said, I think I have extreme ADD as being an entrepreneur and, and having multiple businesses going on and, uh, different relationships in general with, you know, some of our uh, folks that run some of the other companies we have. And, being able to zone that in uh, is extremely important, but racing to personal life, I mean, you have to be able to close that door and shut it down for that moment. And I'm sure when you see professional golfers or tennis players or any athlete for that matter, when it's time to get on the field, uh, they're not thinking about other things. You know, they're thinking about that moment. And that's what racing really does because uh, you really are at the edge uh, of a very fast, you know, 180 mile an hour car. In some cases, these Formula One drivers, uh, for example, you know, they really are at the top of the food chain. That's so true. If if you could go back and have a conversation with, uh, you know, with 18-year-old with Mark, what type of advice and tips and pointers and, and things would, would you want to say first? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, 18 years old, uh, wow, let's see here. I think I was enlisting into the Marine Corps, uh, getting ready to go into college at the same time. You know, I honestly don't know if I would change my past. Um, I think that everything is laid out for you in a certain way in life. However, you can control the outcome of certain things by decisions you make or by the people you hang out with. And I think, you know, influencers and mentors in your life are important. I've always told my kids, you know, look, positive people, positive energy. Uh, I'm not one for drama. Don't like drama. Um, I think we're all blessed in different ways and we have to be thankful for that. 
but everybody has an opportunity to change their life. They just have to want to do it. And one of the things I've told all my employees that work for me is that, you know, never let fear stop you from achieving success because fear is really the killer. And if you firmly believe that you're going to be a CEO, if you firmly believe you can go run a six minute mile, then damn it, go do it. Don't let anything stop you and keep positive people around you. And I think that's really important. It's really amazing to see how that bar of what we think is our limit of whether it's physical performance, mental performance, or in our career, whatever we think that limit is, you can always push past it and you can always achieve more, but you have to test your limits to see where that is. Um, and that's, that's amazing advice. If, if you could have one piece of advice that people take away from everything you've done, essentially your legacy, what would you want that to be? Um, what would you want people to really take away from all that you've done? You know, it's, this is probably my number one slogan and my grandfather used to tell me and I've passed it down to my kids. And if you believe in who you are, you will become what you believe. And I truly live by that. So I would say that that's the big advice that I would have. If you believe in who you are, you will become what you believe. That's a really great slogan. And that came from your grandfather, you said? Yeah, that came from my grandfather, yeah. He sounds like a wise man. No doubt. So, Mark, with all the amazing things you've done with circuit racing and everything else, tell us about your new venture, Skeleton Optics. Well, no, I appreciate that. So, you know, Lori and I uh, have always had a passion for the outdoors from hunting the waterfowl to travel. Uh, Just in general, you know, when you think about family on the back porch and Sunday barbecues or tailgating, you know, what we saw out there in the sunglass industry is that sunglasses are all over the place and how how do you really define who you are? And most people leave the house every day with their cell phone, their car keys, a pair of sunglasses or whatever the case may be. And so we ended up uh, buying a company uh, out of Colorado. We literally shut the company down, rebranded the company, hired a great marketing agency, the ID agency out of LA. And, you know, we told them, listen, we need to be a sunglass company. And if you look at Yeti, what Yeti is to coolers, I guess you can say we are to sunglasses. We're both hitting that same vertical market of the country, Americana, uh, just good old Americans out there. And you know, we are, uh, we're living a life. Our hashtag is no boundaries. You know, we feel like we live a, a life with no boundaries and, uh, just really appreciate the outdoors, you know? And so this is an item where, uh, when we started looking at the landscape of sunglasses and we saw so many companies going offshore from China to Taiwan and all these places, we said, you know, how awesome if we can put together a sunglass company that quality from Italy and all the lenses are polarized with Zeiss. I mean, when you look at your iPhone, your iPad, the Hubble telescope, they're all using Zeiss. And so we met with these folks in Italy. We met with the folks at Zeiss and uh, we put together a top shelf product that um, really is catering to the outdoor lifestyle. And that's where Skeleton Optics was born. We just launched it about six weeks ago. And uh, the response from people has just been overwhelming. What was the inspiration to get started with Skeleton Optics? How did that transition happen? You know, I spent many years as a distributor, about 14 years dealing in 
optics and dealing in all kinds of product for the government and for the military. And, you know, we wanted to do something outside of that. We wanted to bring those years of experience into developing a product where we knew who the top folks were that were not just making good quality product, but we also knew some of the top optic companies out there. And Zeiss has just got such a great name, great product. Uh, they are really incredible when you start looking at um, their brand of product. So, you know, the inspiration for us was, you know, if we're going to do something, let's do it right. Let's make it top of the line for the consumers. But let's not be everything to everybody. And that's the big thing for us is that we're not fashion. We're not looking to be a sunglass company for the masses. Our market is very defined in the rustic outdoor country. Um, you know, and again, when you start looking at the folks that are whitewater rafting or being outside on their bikes or, you know, anything to do outdoor related, uh, that's kind of what we stuck to. So the inspiration for us is really putting downrange a great product for the customer. How do you feel that the products at Scouts and Optics really changed that outdoor experience for you? You know, it's pretty amazing. When people wear sunglasses, they put them on, they feel different. You know, when people put on sunglasses in general, they feel like it changes their appearance. They may look prettier. They may look more handsome. Whatever the case is, sunglasses are an item that people wear every single day. And it is something that when we wanted to put this product out there, we wanted people to feel as they were a part of a family, a part of an experience with Skeleton Optics. And if you go to SkeletonOptics.com and look at our website, in the first 30 seconds, you can very easily identify who we are and the life we live with no boundaries. And that's what we're finding with our customers. And, you know, every day somebody new is, is buying Skeleton Optics. And it's much more than just sunglasses. It's the family. It's the atmosphere of who we are. Do you think that working for a company like Skeleton Optics has helped you to kind of reconnect with getting outside more? I know you've done some incredibly um, fascinating, uh, adventurous type things in terms of racing. Uh, but do you think with uh, Skeleton Optics, you've been able to kind of reconnect with um, all the different things you love about outdoor recreation? Oh, for sure. You know, my whole life I spent outdoors, you know, from hunting or horseback riding or just traveling uh, the world. And, you know, one of the things that Skeleton Optics has really done is it's more of put us back into what we forget sometimes. You know, all of us are consumed with working multiple hours and running kids around to soccer, to baseball, or so many different events. And what Skeleton Optics has done is it's created this atmosphere of you know, resonating to who we are and finding that good quality time to go outside to go maybe do a great barbecue or to go on a, an ATV ride through the mountains or through the woods or just taking maybe your, your daughter or taking your son outside and walking the, the lake uh, or maybe going on the boat bat, bass fishing. You know, it is part of that lifestyle that I wish we had more time to do in general is to enjoy the outdoors and to pass that legacy down to our children. And that's where skeleton optics is kind of resonating with so many people is that it truly is about the atmosphere that we live by. Uh, and the website is very clear and it shows you, uh, exactly what it's like to be a part of the team of skeleton optics. 
That's awesome. And I, I absolutely connect with that in so many different ways. And I'm really excited to, to try how to pair as well, because I actually do a lot of water sports. And oftentimes, um, the polarization of, of really high quality outdoor um, optics helps in so many ways to read the water, especially in whitewater kayaking and you know, and oh, yeah. fishing and all kinds of different things. So, well, it's so true. We we were actually at the uh, the big GoPro event a couple months ago in uh, Beaver Creek, Colorado, and uh, it's seeing these guys and girls that are kayaking down some of these streams for the tournament for the GoPro event was uh, it was incredible. And we saw some people out there wearing uh, our product, and you know it's resonating with that community and. Even photographers in general that are out there that are, you know, whether they're bird watching or just capturing great photos, maybe they don't want to go hunting and that's fine, but they're still part of the atmosphere of what Skeleton Optics is, is doing. And that high quality product that Zeiss is putting out and what we're putting on the frames is, uh, is top of the line, but yet we're not also pricing it at a point where it's unachievable for people as well. Well, you guys have already done an incredible job, and it's only been six weeks. So I'm really excited to see where it goes and how it changes the game in the outdoor industry. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we welcome you guys to Skeleton Optics, and hope uh, hope you guys are wearing it and living the life of no boundaries. Well, hey, we're inspired by the life that that you've led so far, and and we're I think a lot of people listening today are are excited to take some steps towards uh, having the type of impact that you've had throughout all the different things you've done in your career. So thanks so much for sharing all those incredible stories with us. And it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, Mark. Thank you so much, Marshall. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You as well. This podcast is brought to you by Vestigo, a peer-to-peer adventure sharing platform that lets people experience the best an area has to offer by connecting with the local professionals that both have the gear and the knowledge to facilitate incredible and unique outdoor experiences. People have even called it an Airbnb for outdoor guides. Recently, we talked to Tyler, a fan of Vestigo who has gone on four trips so far. Let's see here. So I guess the most memorable so far is uh, Mount Yona. It's my favorite spot. I've gone there with Vestigo, and then naturally I've gone there by myself a couple times afterwards because I loved it. Most memorable because I went rappelling off the side of a mountain for the first time. Do you think you would have gone rappelling if you were not on a Vestigo trip? I do not. No. Uh, Maybe someday in the future. Uh, Of course, just like anything else, you'd be like, yeah, I can get around to that. Vestigo allowed it to be like, let's do it. You want to do it? Here's when, here's where, you know, let's go. What would you say to someone that is on the fence about going on a trip? Go. Just go now. It's, uh, it's, you, you just can't beat it. You can't do it yourself. It's not like they're providing someone the motivation to do something that they could do themselves, but maybe don't. I mean, and, and, and they can, but it's just, there's nothing matched going in a group. I mean, if you want to go on vacation somewhere, whether you want to do some activity, like having the group of people makes it just makes it. And, uh, so, so going to do something for the first time with 10 to 15 other people who might also be doing it for the first time that maybe I know them, maybe I don't, we can kind of share our, you know, nerves or experiences or how awesome it was afterwards. Um, and then just going with someone that knowledgeable, um, you know, it's, it just all around, I enjoyed it so much that I've gone back three times since. Vestigo, an adventure sharing platform that provides people the knowledge, confidence, and safety to repel off a cliff for the first time. To learn more about Vestigo, visit their website at vestigo.co, V-E-S-T-I-G-O dot C-O. 
When you sign up for your trip, use the promo code podcast and receive 10% off your first trip. Vestigo. Find an adventure, book a trip, go.